0: Find historical blindness on most podcast players and platforms.
1: In some of these other texts, like the Samaritan Pentateuch uh, and some Dead Sea Scroll manuscripts, it's the angel of God that is saying, Balaam, hey, wake up. Uh, in like uh, Exodus 4.24, so this is where uh, God confronts Moses at the... Um, Uh, Motel 6 or whatever and says tries to kill him and then his wife circumcises him and throws it at his feet and says thou art a bloody husband unto me Um, in the Targumim and in the Septuagint it's the angel that confronts Moses and tries to kill them it's not God himself so this is something that was done quite commonly anciently and so my argument here is that this is God themselves okay. who is confronting Balaam I don't th- I gonna... don't
0: think that that helps me understand the story more but no makes no, it no more it just, interesting it, it just muddies sure. the waters yeah
1: <laughs> hey everybody I'm Dan McClellan and I'm Dan Beecher and evidently, you are listening to the Data Over Dogma podcast, where we try to increase public access to the academic study of the Bible and religion, and combat the spread of misinformation about the same. Uh, how are you doing today, Dan?
0: Rocking and rolling, baby! That's it's, the uh, best. It's, today's going to be a fun one. I'm, <laughs> I'm kind of excited about today. We're gonna we're, we're gonna be just diving headfirst into some stuff on today's show.
1: Yeah, it's going to get it's going to get interesting. That's yeah, for sure.
0: Yeah, we're going to start it off with a little chapter and verse uh and we're going to do a story that uh I thought just had sort of one interesting element but it turns out that it has stuff that like I you know, like when you read it carefully you're like, "Wait, what what's that? What's happening yep. right there?" Yep. So we're we're going to dive into that and then afterwards we're going to start a whole new segment uh about It's going to get weird. Yeah. About the evil one, the great Satan himself. Could it be Satan? Satan. All right. Okay. Uh, but, but first, chapter and verse. What are we looking at today? Well, today uh, we're in Numbers, uh, Numbers 22, to be okay. specific. All right. And that is a number. Uh, that is, that's a number. <laughs> There's lots of numbers. <laughs> Almost an infinite number of numbers. Uh and I want I want to give us some uh, some background. I'm gonna I'm 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 actually gonna bury the lead here, or not okay. bury the lead. I'm actually gonna just sort of spill the beans. We're talking about Balaam, we're talking about a talking donkey. Uh and I'll and to to be honest with you right now, the talking donkey is the least interesting part of this story to me. <laughs> now, yeah. So so yes, a donkey will talk, but there's so much more to it. Uh and I wanted to start by giving us some background about what's happening. This is and numbers is weird to me. We're back in the Exodus story. We're not in Exodus, but uh but we're kind of we're kind of rooted in that story. Am I right about that? We're sort of in the Moses leaving uh Israel or rather Egypt story, correct? Yes, we are uh, where
1: they are kind of uh, wandering. They're camped uh, in the plains of Moab
0: uh, across the Jordan River from Jericho. And they are not just wandering because you go back one, two chapters, they are slaughtering people as they mm-hmm. go through. They are yeah. uh, they are absolutely destroying. They are committing mass genocides as they sort of plunder through uh uh this this part of the world. Um, yeah. They've just defeated uh the Ammonites, is that mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And uh and 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 just like they are they are tearing through the land. Um, yeah. They are a barbarian horde at this point. <laughs> so uh now we cut from the Israelites to the Moabites mm-hmm. uh, who have heard of this Horde of Israelites who are just shredding through the world and head aimed directly at them, mm-hmm. uh, and they are justifiably, I think, very concerned. Uh, so they head to uh, so uh, the Moabite king, who is king Balak Oh, to... ah, okay, Balak, uh, decides Boy, to send yeah for Sorry, go ahead for, for uh, Balaam. Mm-hmm. Who is who it seems to be the uh the go to guy for uh curses for blessings for communing with God? He's he's a bit of an itinerant,
1: yeah, slash cursor. Uh, <laughs> this is this is one of the things that prophets could be hired to do at the time, mm. uh, would be to show up and um, you know, we don't like these guys, uh, throw some money at them and. Let him curse him.
0: Yeah. So uh, the king sends to emissaries with money to Balaam and says, hey, uh, need you to curse these guys. We are in trouble. We might all die. Because to be clear, the last battle that the Israelites had, they left no one alive.
1: Yeah, I think that's actually the, the Amorites, isn't it? that and then Balak hears what has happened to the Amorites and yeah. um, and that's what catalyzes this
0: uh this call for help yeah he's he's freaked out, <laughs> understandably so uh so balaam uh says says to these emissaries, uh chill out for a night, I'm gonna talk to God, I'll see what he says mm-hmm. and I'll come back to you uh he talks to God and God says, no, no, uh, these Israelites are blessed, so you can't curse them, so send these dudes away. Uh, He sends the dudes away. Uh, The king, disappointed, sends even more important dudes, I guess, uh, with even more money or the promise of more money and says, dude, just come and help us. I'll give you literally anything. I will, I will, uh, I will make sure that you are that that you are paid well. Uh, the 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 actual line is thus says Balak, son of Zippor, do not let anything hinder you from coming to me, for I will surely do you great honor, and whatever you say to me, I will do. Come, curse this people for me. Uh, Balaam says, you know, I'm not going to do anything that the Lord tells me not to do, no matter how much money you give me, but hang out. Overnight, again, I'll see what God says to me this time. Uh, and then uh, verse 20 says, that, that night God came to Balaam and said to him, If the men have come to summon you, get up and go with them, but do only what I tell you to do. So he got up in the morning, saddled his donkey, and uh, went with the officials of Moab. Mm-hmm. So far, everything seems clear and understandable. And then the next verse happens, and I don't know what's going on. (laughs) Right. Uh, So the next verse is, God's anger was kindled because he was going. Okay. So um, before (laughs) I even get to the second clause or or the second half of that verse, help me understand why God said, go with them, and then was mad when he did.
1: So there are actually a couple of... um incongruities between what we just read and what is coming up in this story. And Mm -hmm. overwhelmingly scholars agree that this is likely a separate tradition that has been worked into this story in an effort to kind of editorialize Balaam a little bit. Because the punchline of this story is, Balaam is stupider than his own ass, (laughs) his own donkey. won't but Balaam won't. is not being mocked in the rest of the narrative. The narrative around this story is talking about how Balaam is, is being faithful, is, is trying to do what in, he's instructed to do by the God of Israel. And so this is, uh, this is a little independent uh, tradition associated with Balaam that is, is basically there to just give the finger to Balaam, um, just kind of an aside from the rest of the story
0: interesting now and when- you
1: ha- you see this a lot where where um separate traditions get woven together and the rhetorical value of having the tradition there is more important than any N- incongruities that may be caused by the wedding of these two traditions i think the the story of joseph being sold into egypt is one of the easiest mm. ones to see where it's like so then there were these ishmaelites and then the midianites took him out and then the brothers sold him to the ishmaelites then the midianites took him to egypt and you know it's it's there's no coherence to the story and to try to create coherence you have to imagine you just have to fabricate a number of scenarios that are nowhere in evidence. Um, right. However, if you just peel apart the two different layers and disentangle them, you get two perfectly coherent, perfectly full stories with their own beginnings, middles and ends. Uh, and so we, we see this happening from time to time, particularly in the Pentateuch, the first five books of Moses. And so this story is an example of this. And it makes you wonder, wait a minute, like two verses before God says, yeah, go ahead, go with them. And then it's like, wait a minute, why are you
0: going with him? And so,
1: um, it is, it is a little confusing. It's just a product of these editorial stitches.
0: Yeah. I, I see that, you know, in my reading, I see that come up a bunch and I've never been able to piece it together in that way. I've always, it's always been very confusing because it does seem like a bunch of times, especially in the Pentateuch, uh, God says, go do the thing. And the person goes and does the thing. And then God's like, why did you do that? <laughs> yeah. It's very, it, it can be very un- confusing. I, I, before you and I talked about this, I had come up with an alternate, uh, uh, guess or, yes. or, or, uh, that I, I understand you're, it makes sense what you just explained, but I kind of, la- I don't understand why, why Balaam, Balaam would, uh, who is, who is a Moabite himself. Would be in touch with uh, with Adonai, the 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 God of Israel. Mm-hmm. So my theory, this is a hypothesis by a non-scholar that means nothing <laughs> to anybody. So don't take this with you. But my theory was that uh, that it was Chemosh, the God of Moab, that had that had said don't that had said you can go with him, mm-hmm. and that it was uh, Adonai, the God of Israel. Who said yes? You can, Uh, Hmm. or or, or rather, who said or who was mad and said no? Don't do it. Yeah. Anyway, that's that's my personal theory. Uh, I'm not sticking with it because I don't. (laughs) I'm not a scholar. I don't know. Anyway, someone take that and run with it. Um. (laughs) Anyway, God. Regardless, God's anger was kindled Mm -hmm. because he was going, and the angel of the Lord took his stand in the road as his adversary. Now I'm guessing you're going to jump on that last word. Right. So in Hebrew, uh, it says le satan
1: or as a Satan. So this is uh, the noun. This is one of only a handful of places in the entire Hebrew Bible where this noun satan uh, appears. And one of the things that this indicates is that a satan is more of a role that someone fills rather than The personal name of a specific individual and so throughout the hebrew bible you have different entities that are filling that role and here it is the very angel of the lord who is acting as a satan and um, it's le satan lo so his satan or his adversary his opposer something like that Um, but i would go even further and say that everything else Uh, In the story suggests that this is God themselves. So this is Adonai who is standing in the way. The only reason we would not think that is because we have that word angel there, which is in Hebrew malach, which literally just means messenger and is used a number of times to refer to perfectly human messengers throughout the Hebrew Bible. But when we have malach Adonai or malach Elohim or malach Ha Elohim, that is frequently understood to be some kind of supernatural entity and and specifically a, a specific kind of leading angel. But um, I have argued in print um, in more than one place, and will continue to argue in print, that many of these places, particularly in the Pentateuch, but also in places like Judges and perhaps even Joshua, where we have the Malach Adonai, where the identities of God and their angel seem to be overlapping, seem to be confused. Those stories were originally about God themselves and theological discomfort uh, with the direct physical interaction of God and humanity. Or where God seems to be doing something uncomfortable, like confronting Balaam here after saying, yeah, go with them, uh, they would slip in this word malak as a way to um, kind of prophylactically distance the deity from these events. And um, this actually occurs in later literature. When we look at the Targumim, which are the Aramaic paraphrases of the Bible, when we look at the Septuagint uh, and other later versions of the Hebrew Bible, we see a proliferation of the word for angel where in the original Hebrew, it referred to God themselves. So for instance, in chapter 21, where we have God coming to Balaam, standing at the foot of his bed saying, Balaam, Balaam, hey, you wake? In some of these other texts, like the Samaritan Pentateuch uh, and some Dead Sea Scroll manuscripts, it's the angel of God that is saying, Balaam, hey, wake up. Uh, In like uh, Exodus 4.24, so this is where uh, God confronts Moses at the um, um, Motel 6 or whatever and says, <laughs> tries to kill him. And then his wife circumcises him and throws it at his feet and says, thou art a bloody husband unto me. Um, in the Targumim and in the Septuagint, it's the angel that confronts Moses and tries to kill them. It's not God themselves. So this is something that was done Quite commonly, anciently, and so my argument here is that this is God themselves okay. who is confronting Balaam. I don't. I don't sp-
0: think that that helps me understand the story more. But no, makes no. It more it just, interesting. It, that's it just for sure. muddies the
1: waters. Yeah. <laughs> um. But the angel is speaking as God. Yeah. Uh, in confronting uh yeah.
0: Balaam. Yeah. Very clearly, w- one way or the other, whether it's an angel or uh, God themselves. Uh, it's very clear that this is uh this is in God's name that this is right. happening. yes, um okay, so the angel of the Lord uh takes a stand in the road as Balaam's adversary as his Satan, mm-hmm. if you will, and we'll get in we're going to get into the Satan later, so that's mm-hmm. going to be fun uh and uh he's riding on his donkey and his two servants are with him. I'm not sure why we need to know about the servants, but the donkey is the only one who manages to see God or uh, the angel, whichever Quick is. interruption. Okay. Uh, the,
1: the princes of Moab are not mentioned, even though no. in Numbers 22:21 21, it says he went with the princes right. of Moab. So right. another indication that
0: we've got a separate tradition here. No, he's just on a slow donkey. <laughs> They're way ahead. <laughs> Donkeys are slow. Man, those guys are on horses or camels or something. You never know. Anyway, uh, the donkey sees the angel. Uh, Nobody else seems to. And so the donkey uh, turns. (laughs) The donkey's like, there's a dude with a sword. Yeah. And I don't like this idea. So I'm going to swerve um, and turn off the road uh, and go into a field. And Balaam angrily strikes his donkey and says, get back on the road. Uh, and, the, and then the angel, I love this because it does paint the picture of this angel just sort of corralling the donkey, yeah. Yeah. just like, oh, okay, <laughs> no, Ooh, well, you go, nope, go over there. Oh, nope. Contain, and so contain. It, yeah. Eventually the angel pins uh, the donkey against a wall. Uh, so, so three times this happens and three times Balaam strikes the donkey uh, at which point, uh, the the donkey is very upset, having been thrice struck, and for whatever reason, the Lord decides to give the gift of speech to the donkey. You'd think that the Lord would just reveal himself to Balaam, but <laughs> instead, he has the donkey speak, which uh,
1: which doesn't seem to throw Balaam off his game at all. He at takes all. it in stride,
0: <laughs> very much so. <laughs> The donkey says, what have I done to you that you have struck me these three times? And Balaam, as you say, just sort of turns to him and is like, dude, it's because you, you keep turning wrong. He says, because you have made a fool of me. I wish I had a sword in my hand. I would kill you right now. You're right. Yeah. Doesn't go. Holy crap. A talking donkey. <laughs> uh, apparently, that's not that's not. Look, this guy. God visits this guy all the time. He, he knows donkeys can talk. He's totally been down with that. anyway the donkey says am i not this is the sweetest part the the donkey says am i not your donkey which you have ridden all your life to this day have i been in the habit of treating you this way and he said no so (laughs) no
1: donkey no
0: (laughs) does does balaam speak with a scottish accent i think he might i think he might uh we need to get mike myers in here uh to do the balaam voice um
2: What's something you learned in history class that you feel wasn't the whole truth? Better yet, what's something you didn't learn at all that was omitted completely? That's what I like to call redacted history. I believe that all history, no matter how good or bad, needs to be told. There are wars, massacres, battles, and entire historical events that are just not in our school's history books. Have you ever heard of Mary Bowser? I didn't think so. My name is Andre White, the host of the Redacted History Podcast, the place where history's forgotten events, heroes, and villains get their story told, one episode at a time. So come huddle around the campfire with me and get ready to hear the stories that you were robbed of. And get comfortable. We're going to be here a while. The Redacted History Podcast. Real history never dies. Stream the Redacted History podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. So there you go. Uh, then, uh,
0: you know, the, then after the conversation with the uh, the, the pack animal, mm-hmm. um, the Lord does uh, make himself visible to Balaam, and, uh, and...
1: opened Balaam's eyes. Yeah, is what we have here.
0: Yeah. Uh, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with his drawn sword in his hand, and he bowed down, falling on his face. And then the angel. <laughs> and then the angel goes yeah, after like, him. What What are you doing? <laughs> Why are you hitting your donkey? Which, by the way, that's so unfair. Yeah. I mean, I know that you claimed that this story is about him being dumber than his donkey, but like, if you don't see the 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 guy, and your donkey is like making all these crazy turns, and you're just trying to stay on the road. I don't, I'm, not, I'm not faulting Balaam on that one. I'm giving it to him. I, I, that, you would hit your donkey to go back, I think. I don't know.
1: Well, I, I think it, it's, it strikes me as um, very similar to a lot of traditions we have so, from the broader world of ancient Southwest Asian literature, where the gods are playing tricks on people, <laughs> and they're coming down disguised as people. And they're like, ooh, uh, what do you think about this God? And um, uh, just in general, being jerks to, yeah. to humans. Uh, and frequently they kind of corner them. They trap them. Yeah. And, and then reveal, uh, aha, I, I got gotcha. you. And um, so it's, it's kind of entrapment here because they, uh, and particularly where it says the, um, then Adonai opened the eyes of Balaam so yeah. which suggests that god is somehow controlling Balaam's ability to perceive exactly the the angel or god themselves and then is like how come you can't see me <laughs> why um, weren't you looking like, for me yeah it's like cuz you are obscuring your your um yourself <laughs> from him or something like that right. and it says the donkey saw me turned away these three times if it had not turned away from me i would have just killed you and let the donkey live um <laughs> Which is and and yeah, the point here is to be like, look at this moron. He can't even. He's not even aware that God or the angel of God is standing in front of him. His donkey sees it.
0: <laughs> um, you yeah. can't. You can't understand things um, going on as well as your own donkey. It does seem unfair. This seems like a very yeah. unfair test, uh, <laughs> but. Balaam takes the bait. Says, uh, "Says I have sinned, for I did not know that you were standing in the road to oppose me." Uh, now therefore, if it is displeasing to you, I will return home. It seems like Balaam is just trying to do what's right the whole time. Yeah, and and the God and God is, yeah, like you said, it does feel a little trickstery. It feels a little, little Lokiish, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um. So the angel of the Lord said to Balaam, "Go with the men, but speak only what I tell you to speak." Uh, and Balaam went on with the officials. Uh, do, do you want to? Why don't? Why do, do you want to give us the rest of the story? on this? Um, well, well, basically, uh,
1: Balak hires Balaam to curse Israel, and then every time Balaam goes out and blesses Israel instead, and each time Balak is like, what did I just say? Um, <laughs> and, <laughs> um, and is just getting increasingly upset with Balaam. And every time Balaam's like, look, man, I told you I can only do what God commands. And uh, it turns out God commands me to uh, do the exact opposite of what you paid me to do. So, it's like, um, well,
2: what am
0: I paying you for, man? <laughs> I thought we had a deal here.
1: Yeah, and and the rhetorical point here is to suggest that if you're if you're trying to counter Israel, if you're trying to um, oppose Israel, God's not on your side. God is going to stop these efforts. And what's interesting is we actually have an inscription from around the eighth century BCE that mentions a dude named Balaam of Peor. So so this this itinerant um, blesser slash cursor probably existed. Uh, This inscription comes from um, Dear Allah, which is uh, a place on the, the east side of the Jordan River uh in the the Jordan Valley. So a little further north from Jericho, but it's a it's a, in a language that's kind of Aramaic, but has some oddities to it, but we do have this story about uh about him being hired to to do prophetic stuff. So this was probably an itinerant prophet, but one of the interesting things is this uh this person existed like 4 or 500 years after these stories are supposed to have taken place. A strong indication that these stories were written many centuries later and are reflecting the circumstances and reflecting rhetorical goals that are embedded within much later uh, social circumstances.
0: Well, and it sounds like it's using sort of known characters like Balaam. Mm-hmm. in the storytelling to sort of, just sort of as fun cultural touchstones or uh, some, you know, something along those lines. Does that, yeah. does that jive with what you're thinking?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, and this, is, this is how these stories are supposed to kind of resonate with their audiences. They're like, oh yeah, we know a guy like that. We're kind of familiar with this motif, with what goes on here. And in that inscription, it talks about the gods coming to Balaam at night and speaking to Balaam um and and so it's there's some interesting parallels uh that indicates uh the story here is supposed to kind of sound familiar and is supposed to appeal to kind of existing uh literary conventions
0: okay that's fun that's kind of yeah that's <laughs> interesting uh, i think that's that's how they're hoping you will react to this story that's fun <laughs> <laughs> i mean My reaction is not, that makes a lot of sense, but uh, it's kind of fun. So that's where I'm going with it. (laughs) Okay. Uh, That sounds good. (laughs) All right. Well, I think it's time for, could it be Satan? All right. It's the devil time. It is. the, The devil is in the details. So give us the deets. Yeah, so uh, let's talk. A lot of people use the word "devil"
1: to the devil to refer to Satan. Now, "devil" comes from a Greek word, so the word doesn't occur anywhere in the Hebrew Bible. It's not until it was translated into Greek that we have this Greek word uh, or "devil." So, I'm going to talk first about the word Satan, which okay. is frequently taken by christians as the the proper the personal name of uh, god's adversary as that some cer- kind of
0: that certainly seems how the church lady was using it
1: yes a, a malevolent figure who has some kind of authority over a divine retinue some kind of army or something like that and basically stands opposed to the god of israel there is not a single syllable in any part of the Hebrew Bible that supports that understanding of the word Satan as we mentioned in the in the previous segment uh, with Balaam, Satan is a noun, a generic noun that means something like accuser, adversary, opponent uh, there's one kind of conceptual parallel that that helps people to to think about it in contemporary terms is it's it's kind of like. The prosecutor for the divine counsel for God. It's, mm. um, and there's at least one story where it seems to kind of come close to that idea. But for the most part, it just means if, if you're accusing someone, if you're opposing someone, if you are um, acting as their adversary, you are acting as a Satan. An so, opposer. When, so
0: when people say Jack Smith is Satan, or, <laughs> or, <laughs> or, or yeah, he's, he is an adversary. <laughs> he is uh, yes he's functioning in that role so
1: just like the right. the uh angel of the lord comes to function as balaam's satan adversary um yes jack smith is functioning as um the satan to uh a serial sexual predator who can barely read but <laughs> but you that is neither here nor there <laughs> but uh so, Numbers twenty-two is one of the earliest uh, references that we have to uh, this, at least canonically. This is the earliest reference we have to this uh, noun Satan. In fact, actually, I'm going to, um, I'm going to just look and see how many total occurrences uh, we have. I used to know off the top of my head um, how many occurrences we have, but um, I have forgotten. So uh, right of now, of Satan. Yes. Uh okay. it looks like 27 occurrences
0: in the entire Hebrew Bible?
1: In the entire Hebrew Bible. Yes. Oh wow. That is not a lot cuz that's a yeah. that,
0: there's a lot in in the Hebrew Bible itself. There's that it's a big book.
1: Yeah. Um and and a lot of these are are humans referring to other humans. So in 2nd Samuel 19:22, uh but David said, "What have I to do with you, you sons of Zer- Zeruiah, that you <laughs> should today become a satan to me. Ah. Um, so, uh, but now the Lord, my God has given me rest on every side. There is neither satan nor misfortune. There is no adversary. There's nobody standing in my way. Um, uh, we have the, uh, the Lord raised up an adversary against Solomon, Hadad the Edomite. So it's it's a role that people are filling um, now. Numbers twenty-two is is a pretty interesting one because it's the angel of the Lord or God themselves who is functioning as a Satan. Uh, another place where we uh, where we actually see somewhat of an overlap is Second uh, Samuel twenty-four one, which is where we have um, David's uh, census. Mm. The infamous sentence census, yeah. and uh, it says there, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he incited David against them, saying, "Go count the people of Israel and Judah." So this is Adonai. This is the God of Israel is upset, and and I love that. By the way, that the anger of the Lord uh, is um, when it gets kindled, it actually means the nose gets hot. <laughs> so. Um, glows red with heat
0: is, yeah, you, uh, you, is you God getting want, angry. You don't want the Lord going Rudolph on you. It's, right. Uh, that's a yeah. bad time. <laughs> so we have that passage in
1: 2 Samuel 24, one. Now, a little later, we have Chronicles, which is basically retelling a lot of these stories, using probably Samuel and Kings as a source, but also using other sources. And so uh, if we go to First Chronicles 21, one one we have the same story, but it says, Satan stood up against Israel and incited David to count the people of Israel.
0: Oh, wow.
1: And, um, and here it's, it's not HaSatan, it's not the Satan, it's just Satan. Some people will argue this suggests it's functioning more as a name, but it's probably um, something more like a title. The accuser or an accuser or something like that. And um, what I would argue here, when we put these two texts in parallel, that the First Chronicles text is probably trying to avoid the theological discomfort of the second Samuel 24 passage. Rather than having God themselves get angry and incite David, it, it's kind of masking it. But instead of saying the angel of the Lord did it, they're using this other option. We're going to do the Satan who did this, and so right. um, so Chronicles is is kind of updating, um, superseding the story as told in Second Samuel twenty four, and so you know it's like somebody's like I heard I heard the Lord did this, and and First Chronicles is is saying no no, it was a Satan, it was an adversary, yeah. um, so obscuring who's responsible there for that. Um, We also have Zechariah 3 where we have uh, the angel of the Lord and we have um, Joshua uh, and we have the Satan standing by uh, trying to accuse. Uh, And this is another instance where it seems to be someone who is filling a role, but we get this impression that this role is beginning to crystallize into some kind of formal office somehow associated with the divine council and that seems to be what's going on in Job 1 and 2, which is the last famous part from the Hebrew Bible where we have uh, this reference to Satan in a way that sounds an awful lot like this divine bad guy. And this is where we have uh, the story starts off uh, talking about uh, Job. And then in verse 6, it says the, uh, the B'nai Elohim, the children of gr- God came before God one day and it says uh Satan was uh, was with them now um i'm going to check it so it says hasatan so okay. the now you don't normally have a definite article with a proper name so this is not a personal name this is like a title so right. it's kind of like the accuser came with them
0: so this is almost like a a divine prosecutor this is this is Someone yeah, who, now
1: this is where we're approximating this idea of someone who is in God's employ. This is someone who is doing God's bidding. Um, and they're coming with the B'nai Elohim and B'nai Elohim, children of God, this has been interpreted a number of different ways, but it's pretty much the second tier deities. You have the high deity and their consort, and then their offspring are the second tier deities. These are the B'nai Elohim. This is Genesis 6. Um, and. The, the accuser is one of them, which okay. suggests the accuser is uh, one of the children of God, is part of the divine council. Yeah, so this, not,
0: not outside of the, uh, the divine council, uh, right. but actually a member with this particular employment. Yes,
1: an assignment within the divine council. And there are, there are different takes on this. For instance, there's a wonderful book called uh, The Satan, How God's Executioner Became the Enemy, Uh, by a scholar named Ryan Stokes. And Ryan argues that satan there should be understood to mean executioner. And so um, this again is someone in God's employ. This is someone doing God's bidding, filling a specific office within God's administrative uh, infrastructure. Uh, So here the satan um, you know, comes sidling up to God and is like, so, uh, you know, starts to uh, challenge uh, Job's faithfulness. Oh, Job just likes you because you bless him. So, you know, um, if you take away everything, you know, he'll curse you. Uh, and I don't know, I have not seen the second, the first episode of the second season of, A- of, uh, <laughs> what's the name of the show? Uh, with the, the two angels. The the good good angel, good omens, good omens. Um, But evidently it it starts off.
0: Start start, start that sentence again. I have not seen that. Okay.
1: Now I have not seen the first episode of the second season of good omens, but I heard that it starts off with uh, the good angel coming to confront the bad angel. And it's like, oh, it's you. And he's like, you know, you're not supposed to be doing this." She's like, no, I have a permit. God told me. (laughs) And it, and it's, he's, he's uh, harassing Job. So, Uh um, (laughs) That's so, I, I look forward to catching up on, on good yeah. elements. But, I mean,
0: um, yeah, it's a great show.
1: So, this is not the contemporary Christian concept of Satan. This is something very different. Now, and this, this text comes from the Persian period. A lot of people think Job is one of the oldest texts in the Hebrew Bible. It's not. It's one of the youngest texts in the Hebrew Bible. Uh, it is a tale that was written in the Persian period, and it's kind of um, it's kind of foreignizing and archaizing. It's trying to sound old and foreign in an effort to kind of dislodge it from any discernible historical context. It's kind of a a long long time ago in a in a kingdom far far away kind of mm-hmm. story, um, and so uh, we're starting to move in the direction of Satan being something is individuated. Mm. But the real linchpin for that is the traditions that develop in the Greco-Roman period around the tradition of the fall of the angels, the watchers, the Nephilim, all all this kind of stuff. So the Book of Enoch, uh, the Book of Giants, um, Jubilees, Genesis apocryphon. some of the other, um, what used to be called rewritten Bible. Uh, that's not really a a handy genre anymore, but basically we're taking famous stories, particularly from Genesis and particularly Genesis six, the story where the B'nai Elohim, the children of God come down and, and, um, marry and reproduce with the daughters of humanity, um, and in Genesis six, it says these were uh, warriors of old, men of renown, and they were on the earth at the same time as uh, the Nephilim. And in the Greco-Roman period, these traditions accrete to this story. They're kind of retelling these traditions and these now become angels. And we have a whole raft of like 200 angels who descend upon Mount Hermon and they are rebelling. Uh, and and traditions are kind of, uh, we get different takes on this tradition all the way into like the medieval period within Christianity, Mm. Um, where we have the story where basically uh, Adam and Eve are created and God tells the angels to go worship Adam and Eve. And then one of the angels is like, why are we worshiping this dude? We're better than this dude. Can you and basically kind of ginning up a mutiny against God and that's responsible for the fall of the angels. And in a later period Satan is kind of the leader of these angels, but in the Greco-Roman period Satan is still kind of a generic noun. And so in the Enochic and other literature you actually have the plural use of this noun. You have satans which is oh, just wow. kind of a just kind of a generic these deities. Right. Um but you do begin to see um a hierarchy among the angels and you do begin to see some names popping up for some of these leaders. Uh Belial which is like uh uh worthless. Uh you this is the name of uh, a leader. You, you get this concept of the Bene Belial, the sons of the children of Belial. And then there's, a, there's an alternative spelling, Beliar. Mm. Uh, Satan, you, like I said, you get the plural of Satan, and you have an alternate spelling of that as well. You have uh, this word, satam, with an M on the end. Uh, and this is a verb that means to persecute, to pursue, to entrap, to hate. And so one of the names of one of these leaders is mastema, which is uh, taking that verbal root and turning it into a noun. So mastema would mean persecution, pursuit, entrapment, um, things like that. And mm-hmm. we see that in Hosea, in the book of Hosea 9, 8, it talks about uh, persecution, this this um, abstract noun. But that becomes one of the names of the leaders of these fallen angels. Uh, and, So you get this hierarchy that's developing and you get these ideas about these different folks who might be in charge of these wicked angels. Um, And uh, one of the names that also comes up is Beelzebub.
0: Yes, which we've
1: we've all heard that one. We've all heard that one. That's a very famous one, which is actually a, um, it's kind of an editorialization of a name, a title that actually exists in ancient, um, Northwest Semitic traditions. It was originally Zevul Baal or Baal Zevul, which means Prince Baal, uh, but Beelzebub would mean, um, and so Baal means Lord, so Prince Lord, Prince Baal, but when you say Beelzebub, it's Lord of Flies. So it's kind of taking the name and corrupting it to make it an editorialization on that name. Um, and you actually and pres- had the cor-
0: Presumably flies were not thought to be good.
1: No, yeah, this is this is a a pretty demeaning, denigrating uh, title, right? But in the New Testament, you usually see it transliterated in the English as Beelzebub. Um, It's actually spelled correctly in the Greek. It's Beelzebul in the Greek, but because of that, uh, the tradition of that editorialization usually translations will will render Beelzebub. Um, So. A little oddity of how uh, modern translators render that kind of thing yeah
3: yeah some of us love history others used to or never did because history was presented as nothing but the rote memorization of names dates and facts basically the story got left out and that made history kind of suck my name is greg jackson i'm a university professor with a phd in history and bringing history to life is my passion And join me, Professor Greg Jackson, every other week for a new episode, where I'd like to tell you a story.
0: When Johann Rall received the letter on Christmas Day, 1776, he put it away to read later. Maybe he thought it was a season's greeting and wanted to save it for the fireside. Oh well, this is The Constant, a history of getting things wrong. I'm Mark Chrysler. Every episode, we look at the bad ideas, mistakes, and accidents that misshaped our world. Find us at constantpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: So some of the places where Satan is not mentioned in the Hebrew Bible that are going to be kind of roped in in later periods. Um, the serpent in the Garden of Eden, nowhere in the entire Bible is identified as Satan.
0: Yeah, we talked about that a little bit in our in our first episode that like, yeah. it's just a snake.
1: Yep, just a snake. And snakes um, were associated with a few different things anciently, with wisdom, with healing, uh, also with eternal life. And so in the story of uh, Gilgamesh, Gilgamesh is trying to get this flower that's going to um, give him eternal life. Um, and then he is, uh, I think he's in the sea and he's going to trying to get to this flower and a snake steals it from him. And so it is also, it's associated with eternal life. It's also associated with <laughs> uh, obstructing human access to <laughs> eternal life, which somewhat overlaps with the story of, uh. Adam and Eve, in uh, the Garden of Eden. Uh,
0: yes, but opposite, because in that case, yeah. the, the snake is actually uh, granting access to it, at yeah, least knowledge. So that's it's interesting.
1: Moving them in that direction, and then God is the one who steps in and says, no, 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 no. Another figure that is mentioned in the Hebrew Bible that actually has nothing to do with Satan is Lucifer. Mm. So Isaiah fourteen twelve, we have this story about... Uh, This this chapter is explicitly about a king of Babylon. Like the author says, this is about this king and then goes on to say these things and then says, oh, how you have fallen. Oh, and uh, the Hebrew is Halel Ben Shachar, which means shining one, son of the dawn. And there have been a number of attempts to try to situate this within an existing kind of traditional background. Um, I think that probably the most popular is to associate Halil with uh, this Northwest Semitic deity, Ahtar, from known from the Baal cycle and from some other literature. Um, irrespective, however, This is talking about the king of Babylon that way and kind of sarcastically saying, oh, you tried to exalt yourself up above the stars of heaven, which is a reference to the gods, over the the throne of El. Uh, You wanted to be higher than all of them, but you've been thrown down. You've been subjected. You've been buried under the earth. You are in the underworld. In other words, you wanted to be high, but now you're um, the lowest of the low. And so it's it's mocking the king of Babylon. And we have no connection of that story with Satan, no, no explicit connection until the middle of the second century CE. I think around Justin Martyr or somewhere around there is the first time somebody says, Hey, this is Satan. Will
0: Would you d- connect with for me the uh because I didn't catch how the name Lucifer is connected Oh, right? That.
1: Sorry. So um This Halel Ben Shachar, or Ben Shachar, this is uh, probably a reference to the planet Venus and traditions that deified this planet and that connected certain deities with this planet. Sun of the dawn, this is the morning star, this is the brightest star in the sky that's actually a planet before the sun comes up. And so in the Greek translation, they rendered uh, Heosphoros, which is like light bringer, light bearer. Which is a similar reference to Venus as a deity. In fact, right. that was one of the names of the deity who was connected with Venus. In the Roman pantheon, you had a deity named Lucifer, which also means light bearer, light bringer. And so uh, you have Jerome, the translator of the Vulgate into Latin, who renders. Lucifer for Heosphoros in the Greek. So this okay. is all parallel. They're all, they're all different kind of socially contingent ways to refer to a deity linked with the planet Venus. As, um, as time goes on, Lucifer as kind of a title for the planet Venus um, takes on the qualities of a proper name. Mm. And so you start to see Uh, and particularly when it gets connected with Satan, the adversary, then Lucifer becomes a proper name. I've heard some people say that it's the King James Version that first capitalizes the L or something like that, and that's simply not true. Uh, Every English translation back to Wycliffe uh, capitalized the L, treated that um, if not a uh, as a personal name as a title um, that was referring to a specific individual, um, and that probably goes back to early traditions uh, of how the the Vulgate was read. But um, but so yeah, Lucifer nowhere connected with Satan. There are two places where people in the New Testament where people suggest this is connected with Satan, and I think. It's probably closer to some other traditions. So one is in uh Luke where Jesus says, I saw Satan falling from heaven like lightning. And so this kind of sounds like Isaiah 14, 12, uh oh, how thou art fallen from the heavens.
0: Hmm. But kind it, of, but kind not, of. Not really. I mean <laughs> lightning is uh is 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 a little more direct than a, yeah,
1: it, it that that's kind of a, a flash. Yeah. Um but the, the, this also sounds an awful lot like the traditions of the fall of the angels from the Greco-Roman period with the Enochic mm. literature and others, where the angels uh, are rebelling and are being thrown down with their leader, who is uh, in the Greco-Roman period, has not yet been named Satan, but by the time of the New Testament is going to be associated with Satan. And then we also have in the book of Revelation, it talks about Satan is as that ancient serpent. And so people think, ah, serpent, the serpent from the Garden of Eden, case closed. But that's probably a reference to Leviathan who is mentioned in a handful of places. Uh, Isaiah 27, one, one of them mentioned in Job, mentioned in some of the Psalms. But Leviathan is kind of a, um, a prehistoric chaos monster that is associated with other Divine entities from the traditions around them. Uh, in the Ugaritic literature, uh, the word is lotan, which is cognate, meaning it's it's the same word but in another language. And in the Ugaritic literature, Lotan has seven heads. And in Revelation, the ancient serpent is the dragon who has seven heads. So I think, at least in Revelation, it's much more closely linked with the tradition of uh, the Leviathan rather than the serpent in the Garden of Eden. And there are some folks who think that, um, see, the Wisdom of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 24, I think it says, because of the... Uh, what is it? Because of the envy of a devil, diavolu, uh, that's the the genitive of devil. Uh, death entered the world, and I, I mentioned diablo uh, or diabolos, devil, uh, in the beginning of the this segment. That's a Greek word that, uh, literally etymologically, it means to to cast through or beyond, basically to miss the mark, and. The ancient Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible uses that to translate Satan. Um, and so there's a connection there. And so some people think, ah, Diabolos there must be Satan. Therefore it was Satan, uh, who allowed death to enter the world in the garden of Eden. So there we see some loose, maybe connections. But we don't really see an explicit identification of Satan either with the serpent in the Garden of Eden or with Lucifer until we get into the second and third centuries CE within early Christianity. So I would argue that these are most clearly post-biblical identifications. Um, but by the time we get to the New Testament, we have Satan functioning kind of as the proper personal name of uh an individual who is stands opposed to god has rule over the evil spirits the malevolent forces uh of the world and some people uh have asked where does this come from uh is does this have to do with zoroastrianism and we i don't think we have enough data about Zoroastrianism to say for sure, but I think it's likely that-
0: does, does Zoroastrianism have a Satan figure? Is that what we're saying?
1: So Zoroastrianism has a, um, a, uh, a leader, um, Ahura Mazda. This is the, the divine leader. And there are two spirits that derive from Ahura Mazda. One is called Angra Mainyu, which is like the opposing spirit. And the other is called Spenta Mainyu, which is the holy or the bountiful spirit. Do and they these live on our
0: t- shoulders? Because I've heard yes. of that one.
1: They dress in white and in red, and they sound <laughs> an awful lot like Patrick Warburton. Um, <laughs> but uh, these, this is this dualism that kind of exists within uh, Zoroastrianism as near as we can tell. And Ahura Mazda and Angra Mainu represent opposite sides of this spectrum. And so people think it's reasonable to think that while uh, the Judahites were in exile in Babylon, the um, the empire that ruled over them was heavily influenced by Zoroastrianism. These traditions would have been there; these traditions would have influenced their understanding of God's relationship to good and to evil. And so, maybe uh, this concept, this dualism of a, a good deity and then a bad deity, was brought back. Uh, to the land of Israel. But there were an awful lot of Jewish folks who remained behind in Babylon as well and stayed there for many centuries. And so we have like the sons of light and the sons of darkness in the Dead Sea Scrolls. These are spiritual forces, uh, and some of them are are also uh, humans. So we have a dualism that seems to pop up within early Judaism following the Babylonian exile. And a lot of scholars would say Zoroastrianism seems like the most likely source of that. And so this may have contributed to the need to whittle these different figures down to a single one. And a lot of these different um, figures that exist, all these sources of evil in the Hebrew Bible and in Greco-Roman period Judaism get consolidated within this one figure. So Satan the devil, the serpent, Lucifer, Leviathan, Beelzebub, all of these things all just get consolidated into one figure who then takes the name Satan or the title, the devil.
0: If, if the, uh, the idea of a single uh, character with this uh, sort of title uh, if, that came up, if, if that really first appears in the New Testament, is, would you say that it's uh, an innovation of followers of Jesus, or is it something that was more broadly applied in Judaism at that time?
1: I think you see kind of this developmental trajectory within the Judaism of that time. I think the New Testament and so the followers of Jesus are probably the ones who systematize it. So kind of boil it down to, okay, this is what it's gonna be moving forward and everybody kind of agrees. There's still some variability, like there are scholars who who talk about the different ways that the different gospels talk about Satan. Some of them still seem to preserve a little of this ambiguity, a little of this concept of a role rather than the a personal name. So a good book on that. Uh, Archie Wright uh, has a book called Satan and the Problem of Evil, from the Bible to the early church fathers, which I think does a wonderful job of tracing that developmental trajectory. And so the new Testament is where it is most clearly and systematically fleshed out, but it's going on within, um, Judaism already. And so they're not, they're not the first to kind of come up with these ideas, but they're the first to most clearly kind of, uh, tie them all together with a nice little bow named Satan. Well,
0: there you go. Uh, I you know he's a confusing character and now I understand why because uh because my tradition has always or you know the tradition that I grew up in all did that consolidating and and then went and sort of like you say went back and relabeled all of these other characters that aren't that guy to be that guy so I I, I appreciate that I think that that's actually uh, a a very useful uh history to know as we move forward and as we understand the bible and speaking of patrick warburton your labels all look alike you
1: might consider (laughs) relabeling as satan (laughs) um oh man
0: now we need patrick to come on and do some do some voiceovers for us patrick i know you're watching i know you're listening get in here
1: he has much better things to do at this time i imagine yeah. Okay.
0: <laughs> well, that's it for today's show. Thank you so much uh, for listening. Uh, if you have any comments, questions, uh, any of that sort of thing, we don't guarantee that we'll answer them, but please feel free to write in. Our email address is contact at data over uh, You can also become a patron of the show. That's our favorite kind of listener. <laughs> uh, you can go to patreon.com slash data over dogma and uh and and sign up at whatever level uh you works with your budget you'll get some extra content uh there's patrons only content every week and you'll get to know that you are one of the goodest of the people and and that we love you extra uh dan thanks so much uh, thank you for all of your knowledge and everyone we'll see you again next week bye
1: everybody <laughs>
3: Hello, dear listener, and welcome to Conflicted, a podcast that tells
1: stories of the Islamic past and present to help you make sense of the world today. Hosted by me, Thomas Small, author and filmmaker, and my good friend, Eamon Dean, an ex-Al Qaeda jihadi turned MI6 spy. Conflicted is prepping its fifth season, which is coming to you very soon. And in the meantime, you can sign up to our Conflicted community. Subscribe to Conflicted wherever you get your podcasts.